Hey everybody, this is Matt, pastor and disciple of Jesus Christ, and you are listening to The Truth Podcast, the show that sheds the light of the truth on the things that truly matter. And I am so glad that you guys are with me today. Uh, as you have realized, it is uh, now Friday when you guys are hearing this, so um, we have moved days, so we are no longer on Wednesdays, but now we're on Fridays, so um, I know that there are some that have reached out to me as to, hey, what happened to the podcast? Nothing has happened. We have just simply moved days of the, the, the podcast has been released. So uh, going forward, it will be released on Fridays. Uh, so make that adjustment. But I am glad that you are here because we're going to talk about something that I think is important. And I think it's important for a multitude of reasons. But uh, well, what we're going to talk about is love. And we're not going to talk about the emotional, ooey-gooey, warm-feeling kind of love. The kind of love that everybody thinks that we should all have. And I think that we have to define what love is first, because uh, when we get into a, what love actually says in the Bible is what love is, and the love that Jesus had for others that we as Christians are supposed to have, I think we go wrong if we try to immediately say that we are to live with that ooey-gooey emotional kind of love. Because that's not the kind of love that Jesus lived with. Now, first, let's just define what love is. Now, as I said, love is not that emotional, mushy inside kind of feeling. Okay, that's not love. There are people that want to say and think that that's love, but that's more of an infatuation than it is anything else. You see, I think this is a problem for us because we have got it in our heads that that's what love is. And I think this is why we have so many marriages in America that just simply fall apart. Because we decide that this person makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. We have decided that this person is uh, who we are meant to be with based on this gut feeling. But the only problem is, is that when that feeling fades, which it will, what are you left with? You're really not left with anything. And, and that's why we, we see people who rush into marriage or they go into a marriage and all they base that marriage on is this ooey gooey warm feeling. And then when that feeling eventually falls off they're left sitting across the table from someone who they don't know, who they've never actually built anything with. And the only reason that they were together to start with was because of what that person did for them or what that person made them feel or how that person acted around them. And then we are left in a mess because we don't actually understand that, that love is a commitment. That love is a sacrificial kind of thing. That love is not something that we just enter into because we have a warm feeling in our stomach. Instead, love is saying that no matter what, I'm going to put your needs before mine. I'm going to sacrifice the things that I desire for the things that you desire. That's what love is. And we can look at the example that Jesus Christ has given us as the perfect example of love. Just think about what Jesus gave up. Think about what he stepped out of. All because he loved us. Do you see the sacrifice that he gave? 
it wasn't based on a, a, a split decision. It wasn't based on a warm, fuzzy feeling. It was based on sacrifice. It was based on a commitment and a love for his people. So much so that he willingly laid down his life so that all of us who come to him could live forever with him. That, that's what love is. It, it's not the warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, the warm, fuzzy feeling could be contentment. It could be joy. It could be excitement. It could be a whole vast number of things. It's like uh, when we get tickets to see our favorite sports team or to our favorite performer or eat our favorite food, we all say that we love those things. But you see, we've perverted what the word love actually means. Because we can't say that, that we love tacos, for instance. We can't say that we love tacos and then say that we love our neighbor the exact same way. We can't say that, that we love um, our favorite sports team and say that we love our wife in the exact same way. You see, we as a culture have perverted what the word love actually means. And that's our problem. It's not that uh, we, we don't truly have those feelings for someone else, that we don't care about those other people. But the problem is, is that we call it love when in actuality it may not actually be love. At least not real, true love. So I think we have to start by understanding what love is. And there's an idea out there that I think we get from um, this ridiculous he gets us at. And it says that we are just to love like Jesus. But the only problem is, is that we can't love like Jesus because we don't have the spirit inside of us that Jesus had inside of him. You see, the problem is, is that uh, we can't love like Jesus if we don't live like Jesus. If, if the same spirit that indwelled Christ Jesus is not indwelling us, then we're never going to actually get there. It's, it's, a, 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 it's a failed task before we ever start. Because there's no way we can love like Jesus if the same spirit, the spirit of God, has not indwelled us as it has indwelled him. But we don't want to think about it like that. We just want to say that we, we just should love like Jesus loves, and we're going to figure it out and piece it all together and hope that eventually it sticks. But the problem is, it's not going to stick. It's not going to stick because we can't do it in and of ourselves. So let's jump into what love means, actually means. Okay, so there are four examples of love in the Bible. Number one is an eros love. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's an eros love. And the eros love is it's a, it's an erotic kind of love. It is a love between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. It is the uh, sexual chemistry between a male and a female. It's where we get our word erotica or erotic. It is an eros kind of love. The next kind of love is called a storge love. And a storge love is the love that is between family members. It's the way that you love your brother or your cousin or your uncle. It's the way that you love your mom and your dad. You see, that is a different kind of love. It's not obviously not an eros kind of love, but it is a kind of love. Next, we have the word phileia or phileo, and this is where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is there that uh, it's the kind of love that we have between our neighbor, between our best friend, between those that we enjoy spending time with. 
And finally, there is a word that is called agape. It is an sacrificial kind of love. It is an unrelenting, unyielding, completely sold out kind of love. And that is the kind of love that Jesus Christ has. That is the kind of love that Jesus Christ lived his entire life with. This agape love, this love that is unrelenting, that is, that is unyielding, that it never changes, is the kind of love that is not earned, but it's the kind of love that's freely given. It is an agape love. It is a un, an unwarranted, an unmerited kind of love. And that is what Jesus Christ loved with. And you say, we as Christians, we like to say that we love everybody. But if we examine that statement, there's a lot of holes in that statement. Because let that person disagree with us politically. Let that person disagree with us religiously. Let that person say something rude or unrelenting about our wife or our kids. Do you live with that agape love then? You see, it's easy to say that we love someone. It cost us absolutely nothing to say those words. We can say those words over and over and over again. But our actions tell on us. Because our actions are going to tell us if we actually love that person or if it is just the words coming out of our mouth. You see, I've heard Christians say that I hate X, whoever it is. Perhaps it's Joe Biden. Perhaps it's Donald Trump. Perhaps it's someone else. And they will just say, I hate X. Let me just stop here and say, if you say that you hate anyone, re-examine your heart. Because the Bible says that uh, in 1 John 4.20, he says, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, then he's a liar. For he, has, uh, for he does not love his brother whom he cannot see and love God whom he's never seen. You see, the problem is, is that we say that we love God and we've never actually laid eyes on God. But God says, you can't say that you love me and you've never seen me and say that you, love, you hate your neighbor because you see him every day. You can't love someone you've never seen and hate someone you have seen. That's the whole point. But you see, we as Christians like to say that uh, we, we, we don't like that person, and we, we say instead of we don't like them, we actually use the word hate. Jonathan Edwards said there are people who love, uh, I'm sorry, there are people who love those who agree with them and admire them but have no time for those who oppose and dislike them. A Christian's love must be universal. Just think about that. A Christian's love must be universal. Do you know what that means? It means everybody. It doesn't mean those that you get along with. It doesn't mean those that you agree with politically or economically or any other way. It doesn't mean those that you sound like or that you look like. It doesn't mean those that sound like you and smell like you and go to the same places that you go. It means everybody. You see, 
the best example that I could follow of this, of Jesus Christ loving everybody, is one of my favorite interactions in the whole Bible. It is uh, when Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. The story goes is that Jesus says, I have to go through. And he stops at this well. And it's the middle of the day. And when he stops at the well, he, he sees there is a woman there. Which is odd because in the culture in which they lived, uh, they would have drawn water at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it was cooler. But here it is, the middle of the day. And there's a woman at the well drawing water. Why was she there? She was there because she was a social outcast. She was there because this was the only time that she could come to the well and not be barraged with with questions or comments or, or accusations. She's there because this is the only time she can go out by herself. And in walks Jesus. His disciples have gone off to find food. And it's just Jesus and this woman. In this culture as well, men, especially Jewish men, didn't talk to Samaritan women. But the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, can I have a drink of water? He doesn't barrage her with the fact that she's here in the middle of the day. He doesn't ask her questions like, why are you out here? There's nobody else out here. You shouldn't be out here. So why are you out here? He never asked her that. He never barrages her with questions about her being Samaritan. He simply meets her where she is. He starts with, can I have a drink of water? And this woman uh, absolutely befuddled is the fact that this man is talking to her, this, this Jewish man this well at the middle of the day is stopped and is talking to her and she has questions. She says, what are you doing talking to me? Uh, I mean, why are you out here? And the whole point of this whole interaction is that uh, eventually she says, hey, I've got questions because uh, you're Jewish and you say we worship here. Uh, we're, I'm Samaritan and I say we worship there. Who's right? Jesus doesn't get into a political debate. He doesn't even get into a spiritual debate. He said, there's a time coming, and the time's now, where you're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. You see, everybody else in this culture had kicked this woman out. They had gotten rid of this woman. They had essentially told her that she was not worthy. She was not, she was she was just time for her to go. Get out, get away. We don't want anything to do with you. And it's to this woman that Jesus Christ comes. It's to this woman who Jesus Christ says, "Can I have a drink of water?" But that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is that Jesus comes to her and he says, you know, if you had the living water that, that I can give, you'll never thirst again. And this Samaritan woman doesn't quite understand. She says, well, what are you waiting for? Give me some of this water so I don't have to come back out here and draw more water. 
And he says, you've missed the point. Go and call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I, I know you don't have a husband. You've actually, you've had five husbands. And the guy that you're currently living with, he's not even your husband. You see, Jesus loved this woman in spite of all of her failures. Because yet again, in the culture in which she lived, adultery equaled death. Period. There were no other options. Think about the woman also in the New Testament Gospels that is called an adultery and the fact that the Pharisees rip her out of the house and they take her to Jesus and they say, hey, this woman has been called an adultery. Let's stone her. And Jesus bends down and he doodles on the ground and he stands up and he says, hey, let the first one of you who don't have any sin throw the first rock. What happens? They all drop the rocks and she's standing there. You see, the woman at the well and the woman called an adultery both deserve death. The woman that called an adultery, Jesus Christ stands back up and he says, where did everybody go? Is there nobody here to convict you? And she says, no, they've all left. He says, then I'm not going to convict you. Go and sin no more. But the woman at the well, she leaves this interaction with Jesus and she runs into the city. And her message is clear. Come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. And what happens? All of the people in the town, they begin to go out and they begin to see who Jesus is. But you see, the point of both of those is that if we don't love like Jesus loves, we're never going to get to share the gospel with those people. You see, it's a good idea. The concept is beautiful, and I fully support the idea of loving like Jesus loves. There's only one problem. We can't do that on our own. We can't do that just because we say, hey, I want to love like Jesus loves. Just simply don't work because he loves with a spirit that we don't have. But instead, we are able, if we know who Jesus Christ is and we have come to an understanding of who he is, we are able to then say, come see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. You see, the point is not that we are just supposed to live like Jesus on our own. We can't. There is no possible way for us to live like Jesus. So, what does it mean for us to live and love like Jesus? What does it mean when we say that we want to live out the example that He set? What does it mean when we say that we, we want to love the way that Jesus loves? Well, first of all, it means that we get off of our high horse. And I'm talking we as Christians right now. Because you see, the idea is floating around out there that um, we, are, we, we are followers of Jesus Christ, so we, we have it together. 
false. Absolutely false. Now, if you are listening to this and you are not a Christ follower, and you come into someone, or you meet someone who tells you that they've got it all together because they follow Jesus, they're lying to you. Because I can promise you, they don't. But you see, the whole idea is that uh, we like the idea of looking like we've got it all together. But the fact of the matter is that we just simply don't. But we like to hold our religious standing up and we like to show it off as if it were a badge to everyone that we come in contact with. Jesus never once did that. You see, the, re, the, the way that we love like Jesus loves is that we forgive like Jesus forgives. We, we treat with kindness and mercy and grace the way that Jesus Christ treated with kindness and mercy and grace. We, we don't lord, lord over people the fact that they make a mistake. We don't hold it over them as if it were a uh, something that they have to live up to. Instead, we understand who we were before we met Jesus Christ. So we are able to say, I know where you're at. And I know where I'm at because I know where I was. Let me come alongside you and let me pray for you and let me pray with you and let me help you in any way I can possibly do that. It means that we understand that the person standing on the side of the street begging for money was made in the image of God. It's kind of shocking, is it? You mean, you mean that person that I see every single morning on the same corner with the same cardboard sign? You mean, you mean they too are made in the image of God? Yes, I do. The Bible says we are all made in the image of God. You see, Jesus Christ never cared who it was. He wasn't concerned about what their job was. He wasn't concerned whether or not they could pay him back. He wasn't concerned with what others even thought about it. You see, there was a group in Jesus' time known as the Pharisees, and they liked to look religious. They liked to look like they had all the answers. They stood on the corners, and they prayed real loud, and they made a big scene about who they were. Jesus could not stand to deal with these people. You know, instead, he was the kind of person that he liked to hang out with the tax collectors, with the least and the left out, with the prostitutes, with, with the complete and utter outcasts of the world. That's who it was that he was interested in. Not the people that looked like they had it all together. Because you see, Jesus Christ can see our heart. You may fool me. You may fool your neighbor. There's one person you're never ever going to fool. And that is Jesus Christ. So we say that we like to, to think about loving others the way that Jesus loved them. 
we have to radically change the way that we look at the world that we live in. Because if we don't, we're going to miss it. And you say, Matt, what do you mean that that we're going to miss it? Because if we are only looking at those people who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us, Jesus says, what's the big deal? Even pagans do that. But it's the ones that can't pay you back. It's the ones that you help just simply because you have to. That's what it means to love like Jesus. There's a reason that Paul in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And the very first one is love. The reason is, it's because outside of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, within our hearts, we will never, ever love like Jesus loves. It's impossible. We cannot do it. There's something that we all have to realize, and that is that at the foot of the cross, the ground's level. At the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, the ground is completely level. You know what that means? It means there's no A-plus students in heaven. It means that there's no people in heaven that got there because they were just so good. What it means is the fact that the only way that we're going to get to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ by the grace and mercy of God. So if the only way that we're going to get to heaven is by the grace and mercy of God, why is it that we as Christians have decided that we are going to only take care of those that look like we do. Why is it that we as Christians have only decided that we are going to love those that we can get along with or that agree with us? Well, because it's easy, Matt. Well, yeah, it is easy. It is really easy to love someone who thinks like you do it's not as easy to love someone who is absolutely opposed to you. But just remember this. Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary died for the men who drove nails into His hands. That's love. You see, we, as Christ followers, the best way I've ever heard it put was that fact that we are beggars that have been given or shown where the bread of life is. So what are you going to do? Are you going to walk around and tell other beggars where they can find food? Are you going to allow them to simply starve to death? It's powerful. Because if we don't tell them, who will? 
Do you remember the last commandment that Jesus gave his disciples? Go make teach. That's what it was. It was go make teach. It was not go and and be kind to those who look like you. He said go out into all the world. That means you have to go to those who don't look like you. Who don't sound like you. Who don't think like you. And who may not even like you to start with. But there's an important point here. And that is the fact that to love like Jesus is a great idea. To love like Jesus is what we should all strive to do, but there's one problem. We can't do that in and of ourselves. This is something that has to be within us through the Spirit of God who continually works on us to make us look more and more like Jesus. We have to pray for these things. We have to pray that God allows us and teaches us to love like He does. Because that's only truly the way that we're ever going to do that. There's no magic formula to loving like Jesus. There's no slogan or there's no uh, uh, script that you can flip. There's no magic switch. There's no easy button. There, there's nothing that we can do to make us look like Jesus outside of the work of the Spirit within our heart. The idea of loving like Jesus is not an easy concept. The idea of loving like Jesus is not an easy task. But the idea of loving like Jesus is what every person who claims the name of Jesus Christ should be like. Should be our goal each and every day. Instead of walking past that person on the corner, Perhaps stop and engage them. Perhaps instead of ignoring that person with the cardboard sign that says, if you have any change, please donate it. Instead of driving by and ignoring them, perhaps you roll down your window and you hand them the money for the coffee that you're about to go buy at Starbucks. And you tell them that Jesus Christ loves them and that He died for them. And then you tell them that you love them. Because you know what? They may never, ever, ever hear it from anybody else. But if you, a Christian, if I, a Christian, I'm not willing or able to stop and tell someone that God loves them and that so do I. Perhaps there's things that I need to go back and look at in my life. Just food for thought. I am so glad that you guys have decided to join me today and I look forward to seeing you back here next week. And if you would like to drop me a line, you can do that. Just email me at thetruthpod1 at gmail.com, thetruthpod1 at gmail.com. You can also catch me on Twitter or on YouTube. 
there's anything you would like to talk about or discuss, you feel free to shoot me an email. And remember, you're always seen. And you're always loved. So live vertically. God bless.